0: Up next is a conversation with Ezra Venitos, a film producer in Austin, Texas. Ezra, welcome to Color Talk. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. It's kind of exciting and certainly been very busy here in Austin lately. So I appreciate you having some time to come by. I'm going to just start out with a general comment that will set the stage for us. Because I know as a production person, you don't deal directly with the gear, but you have to deal directly with how the gear gets on set, how it gets paid for, and how it gets moved around, I would suppose. But the point is, it's kind of not really about the gear anymore. We've all got access to 4K gear. It's coming down in price. We can do 4K in post. Um, Even the color grading process years ago, which used to be insanely expensive, now it's just another tick box on the budget. You know, I mean, what's happening, of course, is a lot of people are running out and just shooting raw and kind of, you know, shopping around with their budgets, hoping they can get it done pretty cheaply, mostly in post. So, you know, question would be, what separates production efforts professionally, your gear or your
1: team? What do you think, Ezra? Well, I think it's the answer to that is obviously your team. Personally, when, when we have discussions about the equipment we're going to use, there's always the, the talk of the camera, right? The talk centers around which camera are we going to gonna film the project with. And typically everyone wants to shoot on the Alexa or now obviously the Epic Dragon is, is the talk of the town. And that's all fine and dandy and there is a place for that, that kind of quality. And, you know, I've worked on projects where we d- we do want to shoot at the highest resolution possible. Yeah. But it's very important to remember that, like, with increased resolution is, is just huge amounts of data management storage capabilities that, um, you know, get very expensive. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the, the just creating workflow with all of that data gets very expensive. And... You know i think that's an important part of that equation obviously when you have a very good team they they are going to make a beautiful image uh, uh regardless of whether it's an alexa an epic or or you know a less high profile esteemed camera based on uh working as a team and creating a workflow yeah. with, within the budget i mean that's that's the goal that's and when you have people like that that you're working with that's a lot more important than uh what camera or or you know resolution you're shooting
0: in as are aren't we all judged in the end on how the story moves you emotionally you know if it's a narrative film it's really kind of in the end how well does it sell in distribution or if it's a commercial how well does the story sell an
1: ad um, i think our work is predominantly judged by content but it's Also, going to be judged by commercial viability, for one. Mm -hmm. The content on an indie film could not be very good, but if people, if it has a big demographic and a target audience, then people are going to go see it. Just as if your last film wasn't very good and it made a couple million dollars you're going to get the opportunity to make another one so so it's not always about being judged on content <laughs> all right but you're but right. but I would like to add I would like to a less a less cynical response to that would be that yes you are obviously judged on your content and and but it's important to be technically competitive so it's mm-hmm. not just about content like technically you have to create a beautiful image. It has to sound good. I mean, sound design is so important and score and all these elements that really craft uh, a motion picture. Ezra,
0: let's get to know you a little bit better. You're from New York originally. Now, I'm curious, how
1: in the heck did you end up in Austin? Well, that's a good question. It's not for... Um, any political reasons <laughs> um, <laughs> it was mostly economics mm-hmm. you know I had I had gone to school in Texas and moved back to New York City after college I just wanted to get out of New York for the college experience I was always kind of envious of people who got to mm-hmm. got to breathe a little bit you know what I mean yeah, it was like yeah. growing up in New York City was just like I mean everything is always in your face all day long mm-hmm. and you know junior high kids riding the subways Mm -hmm. that smell like urine and there's, (laughs) you know, there's drunks and drug addicts. And I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's just a little too much at, at certain times. Um, And so I was like, all right, let's take a step back, go somewhere where I can kind of like grow and breathe. So, but then I went back to New York after college and, and worked in finance a little bit at the World Trade Center. (laughs) But I started to dabble more in film, yeah. like as a production assistant and interned and just kind of like you know I re- was reading a lot on the subject. And so after nine eleven, unfortunately, uh, uh, the city was was kind of it was you know the biggest war zone I think I'd ever seen, right. in terms of like just body count and scarcity of work. Wow, people were you know afraid, and it was just it was a, it was a weird environment mm-hmm. and. Um, Nothing we'd ever experienced, and it kind of forced me to start thinking about a place where I might be happier that's that's not so involved in 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 the world's affairs in terms of like just the the financial district and and right. you know New York is so tied into the relevancy of far, our foreign policy mm-hmm. and everything like that and then knowing that that's what I wanted to do in life was actually now that I was like realizing I wanted to make movies. I kind of saw New York City as an impediment, which of course people who make movies in New York are going to say, "Wuss," <laughs> you know. We we did it here. Come you on, know. step up. We rebuilt this city, and we re, we did it here. And I and I get it. That's cool. Yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah, but, yeah, but for yeah. me, it was just like I was a little bit more. Um, and I was drawn to the films of, you know, like Richard Linklater. And, yeah. of course, everybody always mentions Slacker, but that's because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you look at that film and you're like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Cool environment to make indie films, yeah. you know. Yeah.
0: Well, um, so, well, then what are some of the films you've worked on while you've been here?
1: Well, I've, I've gotten to work, uh, I've worked on, on sets many years. You did a lot of things, actually. I understand you kind of just came right up through the ranks. I mean, you know, production assistant. You did it all. Uh, Electrician, yeah, camera assistant, grip, and I've gotten to work on some Linklater films, on some Robert Rodriguez films, um, also a lot of the big films that came through here, just the big studio productions that would come come in, and you know just learned a lot, absorbed a lot about how how the day gets made, how things get scheduled, how things get budgeted, and, and what it takes crew wise. Make it happen because there's a lot, of, a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that um, you don't really think about when you're making an indie film. And to have that kind of background or at least those connections to to be able to ask the right questions to get the answers you need, it's been very helpful. Probably changed the, the respect uh, quota quite a bit because
0: you're asking them to do things you've done. Right. Yeah. Well, what were some of the films
1: you've uh, worked on? Over the years, I guess, True Grit. All right. A Scanner Darkly. Oh, cool. Hurricane. Mm-hmm. A Beautiful Mind.
0: Oh, that must have been really fascinating.
1: Yeah, that was my first union job, so that was kind of a real, real interesting uh, education. And you know, I'm I'm producing uh, union jobs now, so it's good to to kind of have been on that. How's that different on that side? Well, I mean, besides just the tasks that I'm doing are are, are much different, but it's. Um, you know, I don't know. I think I feel like we're all part of the same team. I try to impress upon the crew, you know, not just the DP and the director, but like the rest of the crew that like, you know, we're we're all trying to do something here that's meaningful. And I'm not making decisions to to thwart their progress or... Impede their development so to speak. I'm trying to like what do I want? I want to know what people need to really get the movie done like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you're gonna ask somebody to do something for you if that's your you you know, not necessarily for me Sometimes it's for the director, but I'm the one that's sort of you know communicating through these channels then It should be understood that we need some we need you to be able to do this for us We're not asking the impossible, you know? <laughs> and I think sometimes that the. the they think I, they... <laughs> I think sometimes they are asked to do the impossible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I think conversely, sometimes, you know, the. Uh, well, we'll leave it at that. Sometimes they are asked to do the impossible. Yeah, they got so. something up for themselves internally. You know? So, there, yeah, there are chips on their shoulders, I guess.
0: <laughs> All right, well, then, so what makes you unique as a producer uh, in your particular way of pulling? films together and working with different types of people and and kind of where you see yourself going with that cuz you know the market the the way we're putting things together and how we're doing them in one sense is the same but it's changing too.
1: Yeah, that's that's a tough question uh only because I don't know that other producers aren't doing the same things that I'm doing. Well, I do know that I've witnessed a lot of producers that don't do this. (laughs) And by this, I mean the the mentality of being very involved with the creative process in terms of facilitating from the get-go. Oh, well, that's that's part of the essence of what we want to talk about. Right. And, you know, sometimes I've I've worked with producers that, it's going to sound weird, but they don't even, they're not even that concerned with who the production designer is, who the DP is, you know, and and I think what makes I'm I'm starting a project now where I'm actually um, working so closely with the the director of photography and the production designer in the build the construction of these sets. Because the sets, the way they're built and the way they're painted and the and the and the fabrics that they use and the sheen that they reflect is gonna affect our cinematography. That's gonna all the way through. And exactly, that's gonna go all the way through. Not only that, but everything is cost related. So people you know, right. so let's figure out here's our budget for these things, for these materials, for this film, for this, you know, the lights we can afford. How do we best make this look work as opposed to you got this much for materials? Okay, here's your camera. You got this much. Go. (laughs) Don't talk to me. (laughs) You know, because I've seen that happen. We all know that that happens and everybody's just like, oh, these guys are just trying to save a buck. And it's like, well, I am trying to save a buck because that buck saved can be spent somewhere else. Right. As long as it gets spent wisely. Mm -hmm. I don't want to walk away with the buck. I want it on the screen. You know, right, right, and I, I I can
0: identify with that. I would say in this last six months or so, I've had two f- uh, projects, smaller ones at this point, where I've been asked as a colorist in early on the process, and we went, they went out and they they, they took some test stuff of the sh- of the set and they brought it back and they said, should we use you know this setting on the camera or that setting on the camera? Is this what we're going for or that going for? You know, back here in the coloring studio, color color grading studio, and it's like. Everyone just kind of shook their head and said, yeah, okay, I got it. And away they went. Right. It didn't take a whole lot of time. Right. But now everyone, it's not like a lot of specific words were exchanged. It was more, I got you, you got me. Okay, that's what we're going for. We don't want that. We want that.
1: Okay, on. Right. And that's obviously a uh, practice that I think they implement in higher budgets, right? In the, bigger? Exactly. Right? So why not try and, and emulate what... Because it, it's not about budget. You're saying that didn't even cost any money, so it was no, just. <laughs> I did that for nothing. Yeah, they brought me some coffee over. And we had a good time, and right. uh, you know,
0: and it was it was informative. It was informative for me too.
1: Sure, it's more just about communication yeah. and like respecting the practice and the procedure right. as opposed to pinching pennies or cutting corners. You know, because there's it's. I wouldn't say that's unique, but that is certainly my my mode of operation is to. Get the most out of out of what we have, and and I I take a little bit of pride in the fact that like you know, um, some very smaller budget films that I've been a part of, um, f- producing wise, zero charisma was one that we made here, and um, and we just had an excellent team, excellent cinematographer, excellent like production designer, excellent colorist for mm-hmm. you know sound mixer, um, composer, started with a great script, and it just. You know it, it, and it did very well. did very well in festivals, got put out by a reputable distribution company. Um, yeah, and you know.
0: one of the pieces that I've uh, been working on and trying to uh, exp- work with other people about the idea and talking to them a little bit about it, it's not so much that getting people together figures one, you know one or two or three things out locked and now that's locked in place and we go make it happen. It's really more about how that conversation informed the next conversation that needed to be had about about the whole creative process that's going on. It's this in, it's like one thing informs the other and then another thing informs the other. So what you may have started out with in a color palette for instance might have changed and that's okay because it changed where it needed to go during that shooting process not trying to retrofit it later in
1: post. Right. And I think that... So it moves along and evolves is all I'm saying. Sure. And I I, I think we've lost a little bit of that now because I actually did produce a feature film on film. Oh, oh wow. It's a coming-of-age film uh, called Five-Time Champion. Uh-huh. Uh, very beautiful, nice piece. Okay. Um, and, you know, so I did... Get to have that experience with working with a lab, working with dailies, and, <laughs> and so not only—I I mean, I—I I, yeah. I saw it a lot as crew, but yeah. you know, I worked on on movies crew for so you know over a decade before I really started producing, and um, you know, but this was my only experience where it was like we sit down probably every two or three nights, um, order in some food, watch the dailies, mm-hmm. and really figure out that we're. On the, on the correct path, you know, and, and now I've seen it a lot as a producer lately, last few years, whatever. It's like people think if they're looking at the monitor (laughs) on set, that's, they don't need to see dailies because in their, in their subconscious, you can tell them too, but they're like, no, but I saw it. I saw it on the monitor. We've got the image. We've got the image. It's like, yes, you've captured an image granted. Right. We're capturing a lot of images all day, every day, <laughs> yeah. losing sight of, like, yeah. an actual purpose for, for this project, you know? Well, so,
0: Ezra, do you think we've unconsciously evolved ourselves into a bad habit of thinking production quality is kind of – this is getting back to an original question related to the how much 4K and 5K gear we have or to rent – and what happened? Basically, what what we sort of talked about that, but what happened?
1: I think because people feel like it, it alleviates a little bit of concern over decision making or or putting thought into the pre production process. Yeah, it's become a crutch in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, you know, I've seen beautiful images shot, you know, in 1080 and, and yeah. You know, and, and anything over like two, two point, 2.5K two point is fine. I mean, especially given the fact that, you know, most most of these films are going to be watched on iTunes, on Amazon Prime, Netflix, and those are all great. You know places to watch these films, but yeah, um, on smaller devices. But there's yeah, there's smaller devices, and and you're you're not really um, unless you have a a, a a really a lot of money and a huge production yeah. design, and and you're not going to compete with the cinematography of a Gravity or an Interstellar. Right, you're not. So so you should focus on doing something like. Paying, You know, instead of spending all this money on media and media management and, like, you can actually, you know, maybe get better locations or have a better wardrobe, get a better production designer. Maybe you can pay for an actor with a known name now instead of, like, this focus on the epic dragon with, like, the fastest lens in the world, like, you know, (laughs) and it's just, like, it's relevant to some extent, you know, but... Just to make a point-counterpoint
0: on this, but still comes around to the same end result. Um, in the conversation with Linda Nelson with Indie Rides, now she's out in L.A., and her point is, yeah, it needs to be 4K, because that's where all the TVs are going. And yes, there are a lot of people watching things on mobile devices, but the thing with video video on demand, and once it goes up, it stays up. Mm-hmm. And, and if it stays up, there'll be a demand for it over time. Maybe it's a long-tail thing, whatever you want to call it. But- Having the 4K capture for the thing gives you, you know, a little more longevity for the project, idealistically right. speaking. Sure. However, it's, I think the first point you make is that it tend, we tend to get lulled into thinking, well, I've got plenty of resolution. Well, I've shot it all in RAW. Um, we'll just let them worry about it in post. Right. I think that's what I see more than anything else, whether it's a conscious or an unconscious thing. It was the focus seemed to be more on the cameras and um, and it's like yeah okay but and you pull it back into the creative process in the end that's what's going to separate you right. not that you shot on 4K that's that's not what's going because everyone else is going to be shooting on 4K more than
1: likely but it's it's systemic it's it's kind of yeah, like that's I the mean point. That's you the know, point. yeah I, I personally now I wouldn't want to shoot on 4K I was making that point because it's like there's a movie at Sundance that shot on an iPhone <laughs> yeah. And I think How about it's about that, right? Yeah. So it's still about the artistry. That's point. That's right. You know, um, but but yes, you're right. And and to to, to that point, um, you know, not only is it a, a rush to to the logistics of the thing, but you'll hear a lot of like, just capture an image, get me to the edit, just get just get, just get us into the edit. Which, to some extent, I mean, there there's t- there are two sides to the coin. Mm-hmm. You know, to some extent, when people. When you don't have a lot of money, you you can anticipate that you can do the elbow grease. It's kind of like when you buy a house, a fixer-upper, fixer upper, you know? Right. Yeah, you just know that's going to be... You're like, I just want home ownership. I need to, like, I'm, I'm tired of renting. Great metaphor. And, and, okay. and, you know, and it's like, I'll do the elbow grease later. You know, I did that. It took me two and a half years to finish a bathroom. <laughs> 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 because, of course, I was out trying busy, to yeah. make movies, making, you know. Yeah. So, you know, you do you do benefit if you can have have a more like laid out approach in pre-production. And that's you know, I think that's that's what we're doing now with this project where it's like get the production designer and the DP to figure out how to get the sets built properly so that each other gains from it and and production doesn't end up spending more in the long run. Right. Um
0: and and make sure the the uh, costume designer and maybe even the colorist are sort of informed of this process a lot of
1: way. Absolutely, and I think what I've learned now is to bring the you know bring the colorist in ahead of time because it kind of they just look at it differently. Well, and also I think you know you can save tens of thousands of dollars if you bring a colorist in early and not worry about maybe having like a DIT on set who who is your color
0: let's move into the di thing we had a really wonderful pre-conversation on this and you brought up some key points so let's let's move into the dit area that's a new area people are struggling with what to do Uh, i've had many of the smaller micro budget indie ones come by and and they're doing the chief cook and bottle washer kind of thing and uh, but even the ones that have had more money they seem to struggle a great deal with what why are they why are people struggling with this whole dit
1: position well, it's such a broad, uh, yeah, well, position, it right? That. It is defined, though, isn't it? In a... the it, it it is, but I think I mean, so much of it has to do with like, again, what 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 are we shooting on? How many cameras? Well, the scope of the job, the scope of the job, go, yeah. Like like fluctuates, right? So then you have, and then also you have the director of photography. Does he is he somebody who? wants to incorporate this type of color process <laughs> yeah. early on or is he just like capture everything 6k raw send it on you know 6k raw send it to my guy you know but you know personally i i feel like you you know the, the dit does give producer a lot of peace of mind because you you can trust this person that at least Your your debt, your workflow is being followed if you've created one pre-production or they're creating one for you that, you know, along with the editor that is going to be manageable. So they're creating a a workflow in a manageable space in your budget. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a lot of peace of mind. I'm still on the fence as to whether or not we need these onset color experts to Essentially, they're like coloring the dailies, right? So right. they so they color yeah. everything so that like, but again, this complicates the issue because now the director, especially if if you if he's looking, the director and the the DP are looking at this monitor, this one monitor mm-hmm. that is balanced or not with what the 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 DIT is doing, right? And they think that that that's their image, you know? Right. And so they just kind of move on, um, but you know, typically that's not all there is. And, and, you know, you get onto, uh, it looks a lot different on television. Oh yeah. And so it needs a lot more work. Um, and then you end up spending money for that guy on set and then you end up spending for the money on the guy to fix it in post anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, it's, it kind of takes us back to your point, which is bring the colorist on early Try and set it up so that you know you're avoiding some some long term effects down the line or or I guess what I'm trying to say is that um it's really a really hard thing to say, but if I do that, then I wouldn't have a professional d i t on set. I would kind of go back to the loader idea right right you know yeah. and um and that's complicated i mean it's 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 weird I've been on sets where the d i t is making more than the d p whoa, wow. yeah. Um, and th- it is bizarre in a way. And over the course of a long production, if you have an eight or ten week or twelve week movie, that adds up to a lot more than um, you know. Having somebody working with the editor, coloring the film as, as you know. Well, you know, I had a fascinating interview with
0: Randy Starnes, who's a colorist on the West Coast, right? Who's been a colorist for since the beginning, I think. And it's it's on the, it's in the show uh, list. And he he's done movies and, um, uh, you know, episodic things. Uh, Northern Exposure, uh, you know, NYPD Blue, Masters of Sex. I mean, the, the list starts way back and goes all the way to current. And the thing he said that was consistent all the way across which was interesting, was that whenever... I said, how do, how do you all decide on the look, especially for something episodic? He said, same way we do with movies. I said, okay, well, what's that? He says, well, the DP and the colorist, the, the director or the screenwriter, depending on you know who the sort of initial creative driver is on it all, right? do some initial shooting. They decide on a color palette. They decide on a kind of what, what it's going to look like, and we lock that in. He says, if you have a good DP, then... Everything is easy to do later down the line. He says, I spend more time, you know, just doing interesting creative stuff than fixing problems because the DP on those kind of projects shoot in a very consistent way and they've locked in the look that they're going for. And i like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. And as you said earlier, that's essentially what they do on the West Coast and I'm sure on the East Coast and have for a long time on the big budget budgets. But that's what we need to bring back into the Indies.
1: I agree that we need to emulate, you know, the way the studios and the networks use the colorist early on. Um, I think what we're trying to figure out is how to do that within smaller budgets. Right. That's Um, the challenge. Yeah. You know, because and and that's that's where my conflict arises between onset DIT, digital loader, Mm -hmm. colorist, you know, certainly now it's it's become. Beginning of a production, you're either working with individuals or you're working with a post house. Mm -hmm. And that, that was, you know, you always, that was, that was the old film, old school film thing was you worked with a post house, you know, and they, they did a one light transfer and they, you looked at your dailies and you figured out what to keep, what not to keep. And then they color corrected that, you know, it was, it was created that way. Uh Um, We've Uh gone away from that, but, you know. How do we get back to that within the confines of a budget? You and I seem to agree that it would be less costly mm-hmm. to do it early on right. than it is to you know, do, either do it on set or do it in the end. But it is a systemic sort of – uh thing that's happening in film right. where where right. in production cuz even a good dp on a low budget thing he's feeling like he doesn't have all the equipment he needs he doesn't have <laughs> en- he doesn't have enough grips and electricians to get this big right. set lit yeah so he's hustling so he's he, you know she also yeah don't mean to use the yeah it's cool gender yeah. bias there um, and yeah, we've got some great women dps we know very well absolutely yeah absolutely and um and, you know, so that so that DP is, is, you know, and maybe they're on an 18-day schedule or 22-day 20, yeah. schedule. And so they're trying their best to stick to what's been established. But they're also going to be part of that. I just got to get this into the edit, you know, and um, for better or worse, it's, uh, it's how movies are being made. All right.
0: Well, any last comments on this, you know, with regards to... What will it take, starting in 2015, to bring about more creative collaboration early? And uh, I mean, my my thinking is what I'm being asked about it now is is that it's in the end, it's a conversation. It can just start with that. You don't have to start necessarily with a huge budget. It might mean just getting together, and having coffee, and say, "Okay, if I did this one differently, how might I do that?" And at, and just keep asking some questions and trying some things out, and and. Uh, uh, you know, letting letting yourself know the gear stuff will get handled for whatever amount of money you have with regards to budget. Right. But the conversation needs to be more about those other, other things and let that evolve. Let one meeting or one set of ideas inform the next and see how it evolves for you.
1: Absolutely. I think, I think producers have, have to challenge themselves to become more familiar with the equipment, with, you know – how everything is is ending up up in distribution, and just inform themselves of the whole process direct through. I, you know, I see way too much reliance on DPs to make all these informed decisions when, mm-hmm. when they're the ones who are being told, you know, we can't afford this, no, we can't do this. And it's <laughs> like there has to be, you know, maybe, like, we should all wear, like, the same hat or the same Jersey to remind ourselves we're on the same team. We're working together to create a product that hopefully audiences will enjoy. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is, is to work together, not against each other. You know, I mean, I've been in production meetings where people, the director wants, you know, is, is we're going to have the actor sit on a boat in the middle of a lake and then the director wants to not be on the shore because it's too far. He wants to be closer, so we need to be on another boat on the lake. And so then all of a sudden the producer will scream out, well, you only get one boat, you know? <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, that's kind of like, are we all making the same movie here? And I think, and I think that's, you know, you can use that as let's get on the same page. What cameras are we using? What recording devices are we using? How are we actually all involved in the making of this production from script to screen? Mm -hmm. Cause there's a lot of ways to save money in this business. There's a lot of ways to be smart, make a cool product, make something, do it well. Mm -hmm. It just, it just takes thoughtfulness and communication. And, um, you know, I really appreciate you having me on because yeah. uh, I can see that that's your goal. And right. and so hopefully, you know, this is uh, helping people talk about this topic.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And so how can folks follow up with you after they've listened to this? We've seen quite a bit of traffic on these, this mini series here. So what would be the best way for them to get in contact with you?
1: Um, you know, I, I actually like, as far as social media, I like Twitter. I think it's okay. kind of a good way for us all to... Um, you know, stay in communication and to, to follow. So, you know, I'm at Shark Films and... Um, follow and send a private message kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I typically follow back. And then um, uh, also, you know, my email is is my name, just one word, Ezra Venitos at gmail.com. Well, all right. Well, wonderful. Thank you
0: so much for uh, coming by today it's it uh, was wonderful to have a producer's perspective on this thank you tom i appreciate it if you have any questions about this podcast or have any ideas for topics on color please email me at tom at parrish.com color talk is in itunes so be sure to subscribe and get your latest show there or i'll tell you a secret I post in SoundCloud first. Hint, hint. Many thanks to Ginny Meadows at MyCopyEditor.com for the faithful and kind and accurate copy editing. To Sanish Sebastian for the amazing use of 100% organic, gluten-free SEO tags to help make TomParish.com more visible in the search engines. And finally, Paul Cox, my C-level support person, CSAO, chief smart-ass officer, and longtime friend. Until next time, always be learning.